Welcome back to Uncork Monthly. This is Mark Powers, and today I am honored to be able to interview Kathy Corson with Corson Winery. With tenacity and determination, Kathy Corson has forged a life of wine that has spanned more than three decades, transcended formidable challenges, and surpassed her wildest dreams. Listen in as Kathy and I explore her life's journey and how she transitioned into the wine business. Welcome back to Uncork Monthly, everybody. Today I am with a very special guest, Kathy Corson, wine grower at Corson Winery. Kathy, welcome to the show. It's a true honor. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Um, so I understand you grew up in Riverside, California. I did indeed. Yeah, that's Orange Grove country back in the yes, day. Yes, it anymore. is. Now, now they grow houses, but in those days, <laughs> <or> at least... <laughs> Earlier in the, the, in the, the 20th century, it was a, an important uh, orange growing area. In fact, that's where the first naval orange is. Now, what what was it like as a child, uh, you know, growing up there? And what what did you guys do for fun in Riverside, California? Well, it's very suburban, but um, the things that I love to do were usually getting up into the mountains, both the San Gabriel Mountains down there and also the Sierras. I did a lot of camping and backpacking. And, um, and then it, I became a biologist as a, as a student through college down there as well. And um, I'm just fascinated by all living systems. I'm a bird watcher, a mushroom hunter, and just general um, generally interested in anything alive. Fantastic. Now, I think that was, uh, I read right, Pomona uh, College, right? That's right. You know, so what, you know, I, there was something interesting that caught my eye, at least, when I was reading up on you, when you were attending college there. You joined a men's driving team. What What was that all about? Uh, what intrigued you to, to, to well, drive? Well, that was back in, that was back in the beginning of the 70s, and I had been a springboard diver as a young child and then a gymnast in call in high school, and I wanted to dive, do springboard diving again in college, but there was no men team. There was no men's team, so I wanted to dive, and so I dove anyway and earned a, a, a varsity letter in men's diving. Uh, now that you've got to understand, this was a very small pond. <laughs> we were up yeah. against uh, Caltech. You know, you know that's 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 interesting. You know, and 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 I apologize because what, what I just said right there was I saw. I, I misread it, and I said driving, not diving. But, yeah, I, I, I did read diving when I was doing my research, so diving team, not, not driving. Yeah. So that's, that's fantastic. So how did uh, how did you enjoy that overall experience? Well, I just I loved springboard diving. I was never terribly good at it, but I, I loved it. So it, was, it, was, it kept me active and allowed me to keep doing what I had done all my life. So you, you were, when you were getting your master's degree at um, uh, University of California, Davis, I read, uh, you were actually told by one of your professors that you would not get a job in Napa Valley because you were a woman. I kind of got upset reading well, that. But how, how did that feel at that time? Well, again, again, this was again, this was 1978, so it was quite a while yeah. ago, and um, the wine business really was just getting going after Prohibition, and women had not been very involved. And I think he was just trying to help me um, and trying to be realistic. But um, I heard myself say inside my head, I didn't say it out loud, but I said, watch me. <laughs> now, after all these years, have you ever had an opportunity, not to rub it in his face, but, you know, just to, to kind of 
have a little conversation and bring that convers you know bring that back up to to this professor. Well, he's long gone now, and um, oh, okay. I I don't feel any need for any kind of revenge. I think that um, yeah, I, I've always been more inclined to do my best at something and let that speak for itself. Yeah, you know what? That's that's a great segue into my next question because you know you're such a seems like you're such a humble person, um, well grounded, and and one thing I enjoyed over the last, you know, week of doing some research and, and especially today kind of refreshing some of that. I it, it's just amazing that for somebody being in the business of wine for over 35 years. Um I mean, you've had so much success. You've been written up in man, so many different publications. I I you know, I think Gourmet magazine, New York Times. I mean, there's been a there's been a big laundry list of these things. You're you're seriously just a down-to-earth person. It seems like, and so humble. Well, winemakers are farmers, and I'm never very far away from that. That's one thing I love about what I do every day, and the people like yourself that I get to meet, and why I even got into uh, in the wine business and, and, and the publication side is to to meet and you know individuals like yourself and, and hear the stories and what inspires you and fuels that passion. Um, you know, another thing that interests me, though, you know, as you think about the the women that are in the winemaking space today, there there isn't really a lot a large you know, large number of them, but wow, they're they are I think I'm starting to see that segment grow quite a bit. Would you agree? Oh hugely. Yes. Yeah. And the and really that, wonderful thing is that there are women integrated at every level. There are lots of women out being vineyard managers. That was that took longer to come around. And there yeah. are women at Every level in wineries, and so um, still the minority and relatively small minority, but it's it's changed quite a lot in a short time. Yeah, it seems like, and I'd love to get your opinion on this one, um, whether you agree or, or disagree. But it seems like you know when it when when wine's at its best, right? Wine tends to kind of express those feminine qualities, anyways. And it seems like the the sexy textures and the soft tannins you know, and the delicate floral aromas of the wine, you know, it's, in fact, I read, uh, I think it was Yale University that did kind of a study, and they, and they said that, you know, women have a quantifiably better sense of taste than men and why they make such great winemakers, and one piece of it, of course. I don't know if that would be something you would agree with or disagree with, but I thought I'd well, it's funny. For for a long time, I resisted any notion of differences because they were always used against women. But but there is fairly good evidence that women have, on the average, have have may have a better sense of smell and taste. I think maybe just as important as that, the best winemakers I know uh, pay a lot of attention to detail. So if there's any any difference there, that may that may be a part of it. So what you know back back in the day when you were you know maybe college years um, you know you you I think you were presented with a couple options and then there was a class I, I think uh, that you obviously saw winemaking I mean what intrigued you to do that when you saw that that option um, to to learn more about wine Well, what was that I was I was minding my own business studying biology at Pomona College back at, in the very early 1970s and. On a complete whim, I took a wine appreciation course, non-credit, and it just grabbed me by the neck and ran me, w- ran with me. I um, 
I loved it for all the usual reasons. It's delicious. It makes food taste better. You share it with friends and family. But layering on top of that for me was the fact that it's a whole series of living systems that conspire to the alchemy of what winds up in your glass. So it's just it's a whole, it's, wine is very much alive. And it's so complex, and from harvest to harvest, you know, it's just it's just year to year. It's amazing how, you know, how it changes, right? So I guess with that being said, what what are some of the learnings and best practices over your thirty plus years in the wine business that you apply to this day to, to ensure the amazing quality of your wines? Because I'm not going to tell you what our new bottle experience netted yet. Uh, that'll come out in our article, but I'll, I must tell you this much, Kathy. Wow, it, it's now I know why. When I told some of my friends that are in the wine space that I was interviewing you today, and they all know of you, and they've had your wines, and they're like, Mark, you're in for a treat if you haven't had them. I said, no, I haven't had them yet, but, and this was this was about, I don't know, three, four days ago um, that I was sharing with somebody. We just conducted wow. our new bottle experience. Unbelievable. Great job. Well, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, if I've learned anything over all these years, it's that I can't make the wine any better than the grapes that come in the door. And so I spend most of my time, I've, I was out in the vineyard for several hours this morning. Um, every, everything truly happens out there. All I can do is mess it up when it gets into the winery. So I'm really a steward here in the winery. Right. So great grapes make great wine. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that. And, and um, you know, I've heard many different angles to that. But I see a lot of pictures of you. You're in the vineyard. You're out there touching the grapes. And, you know, you always have a smile on your face. I do love what I do. I can tell. Um, what advice would you give to our audience, you know, especially those that are just getting started with wine and trying to learn how to taste wine and kind of discover their palate? That's one part of the question. And the second part I want you to finish up with, if you don't mind, is, you know, how do you – how do you actually go about to just, you know, evolve in your palate? Well, first of all, to learn about wine, you just have to pull a lot of corks. There's there's no way to there's no way to learn about wine and enjoy wine without pulling corks. Um, but wine can be you can meet wine at any level. It's terrific at washing your food down. If if that's all you ever did, that would be enough. But then if you're a little more interested in that, you can take it to another level. And I think the most important thing to do is find a retailer, find someone who can help you uh, choose wines that you might like. And it doesn't mean you have to spend a lot of money. Um, so find someone that over time can learn your palate and can help you find corks to pull. Um, right. And what was the, what was the second half? Um, the second half is, you know, just again, how do you evolve or develop that palate? Not a lot of people don't understand, especially I think individuals that just drink wine to drink wine, the $15 and under group, they're, it's, it's an everyday thing for them, perhaps, or an occasional thing. But they want to, they don't quite understand. And I get this question asked by our audience often, which is why I love asking the question from time to time. How do I understand what, what is my palate and how do I evolve or discover it so that I can learn to enjoy wine? you know, differently than just drinking well, it. And if you want to go it. past, wash it, you know, wash your food down stage, then you need to find somebody 
that can help you. And that right. can be a sommelier in a in a good restaurant. I can be a retailer that loves wine. It can be a wine tasting group in your in your uh city. Mm-hmm. You just you just need to you need to taste with other people with more experience. If if you care to take it to that level, again, you don't you don't have to do that to enjoy wine. But if you do, yeah. then you need to look look for other people that are a little ahead of you and can um can help you by That's by tasting with you. Good advice, thank you. So how would you describe your winemaking style? My winemaking style is very non-interventionist because, again, I believe that great grapes make great wine, and I mostly try to stay out of the way. I have a technical foundation. I have a master's degree from Davis, so I, I'm technically trained to avoid problems in the right. winery, mostly um, in a good vintage, properly ripe, Grapes come into the winery, and mostly I stay out of the way. Okay, <laughs> oh, I love it. That, that but uh, but the outlines of that are that I I we we sort the grapes, we crush, we do the same things everybody else does. We use very gentle equipment because the right. whole idea in winemaking is to get the good stuff out of the grapes and leave the bad stuff behind. So we're as gentle as we can be at every stage, and. Um, that that about wraps it up. It's aged for 20 to 22 months in small French oak barrels. 50% of those are new each year. Um, okay. Otherwise, it's really very very traditional winemaking. It's it's not about the winemaking. It's about the grapes. Yeah, I know on your website you say it's there, it, it's uh, your approach is handcrafted. You know, a really handcraft Napa Valley Cabernet without compromise. And, and and listening to you today, I 100% agree with that. And after tasting the wine, I can uh, I can definitely see how that quality and that that focus to detail is is in every bottle. So again, a great job. Thank you. We've kept it really small. It's we make no more than about 3,500 cases. Sometimes it's quite a bit less depending on Mother Nature, and um, so it allows allows me to be there at every single juncture and that's that's really now important. is that 3500 cases across the five wines well but it's i don't really make five wines i make two wines well really three oh, now looking. um i i make cabernet sauvignon i goof around with a little bit of cabernet which is i make 150 cases of that each year it's almost home wine making and then um and then nothing else really the franc is franc is Part of the vineyard we, that I've sourced now for 30 years and just had the amazing good fortune to buy in the last year, um, I used to share that vineyard with Schaefer. They would take the little tiny bit of Cabernet Franc, it's like a ton, and then half the Cabernet, and I would take the other half of the Cabernet. About 10 years ago, they became 100% estate, and I took over this vineyard. Um, and so ever since then, I made that little dollop of Cabernet Franc. Wonderful. Okay, I didn't I didn't know that. That's uh thank you for sharing that. That's, that's, now uh, now we own the vineyard. We've named it Sunbasket and we'll be uh bottling a very small subsection of it as a vineyard designate going forward. I'm very excited. Wonderful. Now when is uh when is that actually released? Oh, that won't be released for more than another year. Well, I look forward to that. Um I guess you know it's 
I can't imagine, but I'm going to ask you anyway. He's growing up in life. I mean, was there anything else you wanted to do? I mean, you you were you were going to school oh, for biology. Really you had an opportunity to become one. You know, early to get into wine. But... I wanted to work in a zoo when I was little. I wanted to be a, a a ranger. I wanted to be a veterinarian. These were all really early thoughts. Yeah. And then at Pomona, I was I was getting a degree in biology. I knew I would be doing something in that field. And right. you know, and just so happened that I bumped into wine. <laughs> well, luckily for all of us, that you did that. So <laughs> that is fantastic. Lucky for me. Amazing, the, the, the life path of people. I just absolutely love it. So when you yeah, yeah, absolutely. What um, I guess, what would you? I mean, you get you get a lot of. I've heard a lot of things out there. You know, good stuff about you, like. Names like you know, you've been named the first lady of Napa Cabernet. What, what, what do you think about that kind of stuff when you hear or read how the the, the media may you know label you? I guess are those depends yeah. on the label. Yeah, I, well, I think I'm, to me, a first lady of Napa that. Cabernet that's a that's a pretty that's, prestigious that's label. An honor. So. Um, let's let's get into your wine. I, I love the label. It's I, instead of me reading and, and sharing with the world, I'd rather, you know, what I've found, I want you to tell, if you don't mind, what's the, what was the inspiration behind the label? Well, those there are two images on the label and the cork and the capsule that are very old life symbols, 7,000-year-old uh, life symbols from what we call the Fertile Crescent, the sort of the, what do they call it, cradle of, of civilization, where it's in the Mideast, Middle East, and that's where humans first started to settle down and grow things. And they know okay. that they made wine. Well, that's where the the European wine grape variety evolved as well. That part of the world, and we know that they made wine back in those days because they find tartrates in their pots, potassium mm. bitartrate. And grapes are unusual in having a lot of tartaric acid. The major acid in wine grapes is tartaric acid. So they know they made wine, um, and they're they're. It's posited by um, archaeologists that those were life symbols, and so not just decorations, but they were actually sort of earth-based religion life symbols. And whether that's true or not, it's a great story. And the one on the front of the label is based on rain. It's posited. And then the one on the cork and on the top of the capsule um, is based on a sprouting seed. And um, so I just like that. It plugs, the, that notion plugs in for me the uh, why I make wine, and that is because it's alive. Uh, that's, that's a great way to tie it all together. Yeah. So it's, it's just, I love the, 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 simplistic, the simplistic approach, yet you know, in-depth meaning behind it all. Uh, it, it's a beautiful label. It really is. So well done. I love, I love those images or those the label because it could be interpreted as either very modern or very, very old. Yeah, and you bring, it's kind of like you're bringing the, the old world and new world together. Perhaps. Yeah, um, so yeah no, that's, 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 that's what my winemaking is about, really. It's, it's all yeah. about... Uh, honoring what's been going on for millennia 
but then bringing it forward with California grapes. So. Yeah. Now, have you, have, you know, out of aside from California, of course, as a region that you're in and produce from, you know, are there other regions that you just absolutely love, and if so, which ones and why? I love wine. There's there's always a Mosul in my refrigerator. I mm. love Cote Roti. I love Burgundy. I love Champagne Brut Rosé. I love um, Claret from um, Saint Julien. I mean, I love all wine, but these are just some of my favorites. Okay, so I want to talk about your wines, though. So the let's let's go through the two that you sent me, if you don't mind. I'd love for you to just kind of describe them for our audience. Um, walk us through that experience um, and how you would describe the wines, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, first of all, I focus on one little tiny corner of the world, and that is Benchland, which is just the alluvial fans coming out of the western hills. So Benchland between Rutherford and St. Lena. So right in the middle of the valley, um, contiguous towns, and I believe some of the best places to grow Cabernet in the world. So I, I focus in a very, very specific area. I love the wines of the Benchland here between Rutherford and St. Lena for the combination of their beautiful aromatics, their inky color, their um, complexity. They have a huge range of Cabernet fruit flavors when it's grown right. And then the tannins come into the winery feeling like velvet. So they need no manipulation. They just come into the winery feeling like velvet. So my wines, if you were to measure the tannin my wines, you'd get a very big number. But the tannins that are there are very soft and um, very gently grippy. So it's a characteristic of this corner of the world. They also, the wines from around here, also have good natural acidity which is very important to me as well. Okay. So, what characteristics? I mean, year in and year out, I would say there's, they tend, the Napa tends to have lots of the bright end of the Cabernet fruit spectrum, that being the cherries, black cherries, blueberries, grading into plums, and then into um, the darker purple and black flavors of maybe berries and chocolate and... um, Yeah, after... I, my favorite vintages are the ones that are long and cool where all those flavors can be in the glass at the same time. And that's one of the things this little corner of the world does really well. The Kronos Vineyard is our single vineyard estate wine. It serves a vineyard on all four sides. And the vineyard was planted in 1971. The vines are 45 years old. They're growing on St. George rootstock, which tends to set a very scraggly cluster of very small berries, very low yielding, and um, as well as, and then in addition to that, being just old vines. So very low yields of um, very singular wine. I just think it's a great vineyard. Um, And the wines out of here tend to be a little more brooding, is a word that often comes to mind. The, The fruit is a little darker, starting maybe at plums and heading to blackberries and poisonberries and um, and darker. So what I love about, or what I'm trying to do is make wine 
that is both powerful and elegant. Cabernet Sauvignon is going to be powerful. I don't care where you grow it, how you grow it, what you do. But it's way more interesting to me at the intersection of elegance. So they sound like opposites, but they can they can coexist in the same glass. So I want the power of Cabernet, but I want the um, I want the elegance. I want the structure to age, structure to complement food, and um, the natural acidity to make it um, snappy and uh, lively. Yeah, I mean, well done because you, you've achieved that. And I love the finish on both of the wines. Um, just just the way that, just the, I guess the way that I would describe it would be, you know, the way that it hits the mid-palate. It's, a, it's definitely a well-balanced wine. It, it stays there for a little bit, I think, at least for me. And it has that nice, smooth, uh, I think a longer-lasting tail on it or finish to it. And it's, it's, it's a pleasing finish i absolutely loved it uh i, I kept wanting i kept wanting more so i'm so with, glad what's that i'm so glad you enjoyed it yeah so uh i was just in, incredibly happy that uh we were able to coordinate this this interview today and uh to meet you here and and, and finally get to uh to taste your wines here so um you, you have a, a wine club as well uh, tell our listeners and our audience a little bit about what they can expect and how they can join. And oh, club! Yeah, yeah, your wine club. We like many wineries do, but I think one of the things that we can offer that many can't is that I've always kept back good libraries of older vintages. I do that because many of these wines are going to live longer than I do, especially in big format bottles. So they they um, reward patients and they do really interesting things over time in the bottle. So I've always kept significant libraries back um, for, gosh, over a quarter century now. And that's the only, pl- it's getting to be the only way people can get a hold of the older wines is, is to be in the club. So the club receives a shipment of both of the Cabernets at release and then there'll be the opportunity over time to um, to get some of the older wines. I tend to re-release them in 10 years or more old because, because that's a particular uh, spot I like them. They're still fruity, they're still young, but they've had plenty of time in the bottle to develop some really pretty aromatics. Fantastic. Well, but Kathy, thank you so much for taking a little out of time out of your afternoon to spend with Uncorked Monthly, our audience. You have a beautiful story. You're an amazing person that, that just produces some incredible wine. Um, thanks for letting us have an ex, you know experience that with you. It was my pleasure. Thank you. And you're very welcome. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye bye now. Bye. This is Mark Powers, founder and editor-in-chief of Uncorked Monthly, and I want to thank you for listening. Our mission is to bring wine industry people, their passion, and their stories to the world. For us, it's all about bringing a new way for everyday wine lovers to explore wine. Join us next time for another Uncorked Monthly featured interview.